All right. Hello, and welcome to the Bootstrap Experience podcast, where each week, Bjorn and I talk about the ups and downs of running our SaaS businesses. We both run Shopify apps, and we're working on new stuff. So let's get right into it. What's going on, Bjorn? Hey, Jack. Yeah, it feels like more downs than ups the last week's time, but yeah, things are well. Yeah, got an, had an incident a week ago, but it's also been super productive at the same time. So it's been a kind of weird, uh, weird couple of weeks. Yeah, there was something with your app approval, right? Not so much. It was an existing app that's been around since 2016, 17, I guess. And all of a sudden, it had like a spike in traffic on a tracking server. So it's an email design app and it sends out, or like it helps merchants to redesign all the transactional emails in the store so they can send them nice designs. And in those emails, there's a feature where each link in the email redirects to a tracking server where it adds all the Google Analytics like UTM parameters and things like that and then forwards them onto the original link. And during that hop, you can count like number of clicks and things like that. And it counts anonymously. But something went wrong on that server and started, or at least I only received one direct report myself, but Shopify said that they had multiple other reports, that people clicking one link were ending up on another link. And the th- strange thing is the example that we had to sort of work with, it showed also in the logs, which made it really hard to, that they were ending up in the right place. But anyway, obviously, that's a pretty sort of serious issue because there's order status links and things that end up with personal information if you end up on, on the wrong link. So yeah, but they yanked the app out of the app store to stop anyone new from signing up, which I think was the right thing to do. And then, yeah, just trying to work out what this issue was. And the worst, like I said, you couldn't see it in the logs or anything else. And it was just one of these, oh, what's going on? And was it even happening on my servers? Because I can't see it. And when we're clicking the links, it's going on. And anyway, it just turned into a lot of late nights and a lot of stress trying to work out and improve the service. And then also, I worked out that I can actually remove the tracking server altogether and just link with the UTM parameters already there. So we lose a little statistic of how many clicks, but the data in the Shopify reports and the Google Analytics for the merchant will still be exactly the same. So it turned into a better feature in the end, really, or a safer feature. But it's just weird because that feature's been there for, like I said, years and years and years, and it's handled BFCM after BFCM without a problem. And then for like an hour, it just goes haywire. And you can see it in the logs too, like just a giant spike in both traffic and, and resource usage. But in the end, I think it was really a thread safety issue or something like that, where memory was getting garbled up because it was screaming away at, at full full revs, I guess you could say, and then something's gone wrong. I think it was a good reminder that as good as things are most of the time, it can always be pretty bad at times as well. Is there anything you can do to like prevent that from happening in the future, or is it just a matter of beefing up the server? Yeah, I think it was maybe a bit of both, but definitely... The emails, like I updated them to remove it altogether because I just thought they're not really getting much value out of it being there and counting clicks. It was actually a feature that I built for the Shopify Commerce Awards back in 2017-18, which is kind of ironic because... Do you want to be getting that now? No, (laughs) not not again for that one. (laughs) Yeah, so I can remove that sort of click tracking server altogether, which simplifies everything because they'll always just be pointed directly to the website. And the other one is just going through the code and checking like thread safety stuff. But it's funny because the app, it runs on a separate service, like an, a different app than the main orderly emails app. And it's like, a, it was 80 lines of code or something, you know, the entire thing. So there wasn't really a lot going on, which was all the more baffling. But I've sort of refactored, made sure that we're not sort of string concatenating and just doing everything in like the most thread safe 
way possible sort of thing. Yeah, and I guess that's as much as I can do. But the problem, like, it's really frustrating. And that's what sort of really annoyed me about it is that I can't 100% explain it, right? And I like things that I can explain <laughs> or at least understand. Yeah, it's always like a scary issue. And for me, probably every four to six months, I get an email. It's like, your app totally broke my store. And it's like a terrifying email to get and go investigate. And thankfully, it's usually user error, like they installed the app and then deleted their theme or something weird. But like, it's a weird thing with Shopify apps where we have so much control over their shops that a bad app could do a lot of damage. Yeah, and I think this is a good reminder to sort of just to double check and dot your, dot your I's and cross your T's and, and everything, right? And also because I only had one sort of person reporting it and Shopify obviously had more. But then I had to email a bunch of customers. So we just I basically emailed all customers that had some type of traffic on the 15th to that server, and like a click in their emails. And that was thousands of people. So it was like the amount of work and also the amount of stress that you cause the people receiving on the other side because they're like, well, was this an issue for me? And it's like, well, no, probably not. But it's best to make these updates because it will ensure that something like that can't happen in the future. I was basically causing each person that received that email, at least like 10 minutes of work or something to copy over the new email templates into Shopify. So yeah, like seeing how one thing can knock on to so many different people is quite humbling, I guess you could say. But then they republished the app on Friday after we'd sort of communicated and looked at all the responses coming in and everything else. And I think Shopify handled it well. I think they did the right thing. It was just a a shitty situation (laughs) for everyone then. We tried to handle it as professionally as possible and, and let people know what they should do and how we could fix it and so forth. So yeah, I think it's, I was pretty down last week, but I feel much better already. Good. I dealt with a sort of a bug situation this past week too that caused a, a big headache. That was with the uh, Shopify Asset API. So I think I mentioned this before, but basically I grabbed their theme settings at one point using the Asset API for ADB testing. That's like product images and stuff like that. Yeah. Specifically in this case, it's like the sections on their homepage. So I grabbed those from the settings file. And all of a sudden, I stopped getting back that information. I just started getting a list of all their assets from the API call. And I hadn't touched anything related to this area of the app. It was kind of weird. So I created a thread on their forums. I called them a bunch of times, sent emails, just like really... Went after them for a few days trying to figure this out, and they were pretty responsive. And uh, they said, okay, well, you know, we've escalated this. We just need some information from you. And so while I was gathering that information, I realized it was totally my fault. <laughs> I had updated the HTTP client I use recently, and it turns out that I only use one get request to the API with parameters. And this HTTP client changes the way it runs it. So it's basically stripping off the parameters of that GET request, which is an entirely different API call. So I fixed that, added some tests to make sure I don't break it again, and uh, all good now, but it was frustrating. (laughs) How long did you spend on that one? Way too, way too long. (laughs) (laughs) And it's always just after you've posted everywhere, right? So you've done your forum post and everything else, contact them, and that's when you realize, oh, it's me. Exactly. So I have to respond in five different ways explaining that I'm an idiot and this is my fault. So no need to worry about it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There must be ghosts in the system 2021. It's not the best start, but it can only get better, right? Do you, um, so when you fix bugs and things like that, 
like I know you said before, you don't really have a ton of tests for your apps, but do you write tests when you fix bugs or like, I know you mentioned you wanted to integrate more tests. How do you go about doing that with existing code? Yeah, so it's when moving forward, I guess you could say. I think writing tests for stuff that's been in production for years and and you're not touching, it would be nice, but it's not a luxury that I have. So yeah, definitely when I'm working on new stuff now, adding in tests. And I would say like I'm still learning the types of tests to write, but just trying to find the right balance so I feel confident in what I've created. So just trying to build out the existing code base with tests as I make changes. But most luckily, at least at this point, the products that I have are pretty mature, I guess you could say. So most changes aren't like wide sweeping and generally, I wouldn't say safe, but they're easier to create tests for because they're quite small. Yeah, that makes sense. Thankfully, not too many bugs come up in the app or anything, but I try to do the same. Just Now, if I'm changing code, I try to write tests for it. But yeah, I regret not putting in tests from the beginning because I think that would have made development a lot easier. It's funny, I'm sure you're in the same boat. I mean, I have less users than you, but now if something changes or anything like that, I'm going to get an email. I'm going to get several emails in 15 minutes after the deployment. So I definitely had to make a shift at one point of being a lot more careful about releasing, sort of having like a, you know, now I have a staging server, everything goes to, goes through QA, then to production. Yeah, so you have a staging server then. Do you do like automatic like CI scripts and things like that before it then gets promoted to the main one? Or are you, you're running your tests locally and then pushing them up, testing it out, and then moving it over? Yeah, I just run locally and then do some basic QA, just kind of walk through the main paths of the app to make sure everything is still good. And then, then it can go over to production. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's a good way to do it. And I, I definitely agree with you that over time as your app grows and becomes... Yeah, like you say, if, if something goes down, you're going to know about it pretty quick because you're going to be impacting people's day sort of thing. So yeah, I think I've also gotten a lot more cautious over time. And also now, because it's not just me that's going to be receiving those emails, but I have the support heroes, the support team there. I'm going to cause more work for them as well. So <laughs> bad conscience. There's plenty of work there to begin with, right? So I don't need to ruin their day either. Yeah, it was funny. Like recently, Shopify AppBridge, do you use that at all? I used the EA SDK, the original version, before the AppBridge. And then I tried using, or I used the AppBridge for the Translate app that I had decided to abandon. Yeah, I played a bit around with it. So they had, this was kind of funny, there was a bug that was recently introduced into AppBridge where if you opened up the product picker, the resource picker from a modal, the search box didn't function. And this was such an obscure part of the app that, I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was it was broken for all of a couple hours and I'd gotten six emails about it. Like, why can't I search my products anymore? Oh, wow. So I think Shopify is working on it now, but I had to reroute the app around that screen, basically add a interstitial screen that gets rid of the modal it used to pop up from. Oh, wow. Okay. So you need to change the UX. Is that a bug in the Polar, or like the app bridge itself then? Yeah, yeah. All right. Because I guess it probably tries to do some type of communication with itself and isn't the top frame or yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to guess what the actual issue is. But such a strange bug to introduce and so small that I was really surprised that I immediately heard about it. I guess it shows you you don't always know how the users are using your app. Yeah, definitely. It can be the the most obscure part of your app that people are using the most, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I built my own product picker at one point 
for one of my apps. I was using it on a page where I wasn't embedded in the Shopify admin. So again, on my old emails, you sort of start off inside the Shopify admin where it's an embedded app and you have to say you have like your list of themes that you've created and you can click on like customize or install. And But if you click customize, much like the Shopify theme editor, it pops out into a full screen window because I need the extra real estate for it, which means like half the app can have the app bridge and half of it can't. So I need to recreate parts of it. And it was surprisingly like a tough UX to get right making one of these product pickers. And then also using the GraphQL API to try and search based on like string matching and all this type of stuff. But it was pretty cool that it was able to be done. Yeah, that's cool. I've always just used the built-in one because it just looked a little too scary for me to attempt myself. Yeah. With my new apps, I'm going outside of the Shopify admin. There's been over the years too many login issues I maybe talked about before. And I'm trying to move away from login issues because that should just be, it's a solved problem. (laughs) (laughs) And it should be what's holding my apps back. I'm sure I've lost maybe like 10% of customers or 5% maybe. You know, every time one of these browsers changes how the cookie ITP works, it's just one of those things. I'm just done with it. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to do it outside of the, the Shopify admin. Yeah, it's very frustrating. And in fact, I've recently, I collect analytics and need A-B testing on the store's visitors to track the results of their A-B tests. And I used to store that in cookies and I was ending up having the same issues there with third-party cookies. What I ended up doing there, I think is kind of interesting, is Shopify has this Ajax API that allows you to interact with the cart and you can store hidden fields on the cart. So that worked really well for cooking the user without actually using cookies. Ah, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Yeah. The only issue is sometimes those anonymous user IDs and things like that will show up in the notes in the admin for the order, although they're invisible to the user. So I get occasionally asking, oh, what is this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You'd need to find a like a hidden way of having them. That feels also brittle, <laughs> I guess, in the end. Like <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things that works great until maybe it doesn't. Right. I think it's a clever solution. I guess also I want to have like the real estate and the control over like the full screen instead of sort of being limited to this sort of smaller frame, which doesn't always work for the UX that you're trying to build with your apps. So yeah, I'm not trying to be down on the embedded app experience at all. I want more freedom within my apps to be able to build them that makes most sense to the UX I'm trying to build, I guess you could say. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it does take up a lot of real estate. Yeah, it does. And it makes sense in a lot of cases where they can quickly get to other parts of their app, of the admin. But it does put some limitations on us. But getting to something a little bit more uh, positive, I guess, <laughs> is today we, I say we because it wasn't all myself, it was with the help of Daniel Sim, updated the partner metrics dashboard that I created years and years ago. It's partnermetrics.io. But now it integrates with the new Shopify partner API. So you put in your Shopify organization ID and you set up a authorization token and you can give it permissions and then we can pull in the revenue data and create all the metrics like your monthly revenue, your churn, average user spend per month, I guess you could say. All this type of stuff, one-time fees. It it actually turned out really well, but we just announced it today on Twitter. So by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be available for you. Yeah, I just saw that report. We started recording, so I'm anxious to try it out. Are you subscribing to the app events like installs and uninstalls and things like that? 
No, we only use the payout data. It's just the way the app was built from the beginning. So we don't have any sort of conversion numbers yet. It would be a, a natural next step for the app, I think, to be able to show, show the whole chain, I guess you could say. Metrics are hard too, right? So if you're going to put something out there, you want it to be right. And because it's a free tool, it's like, well, we work on it when we get excited about it. And here it was actually Daniel that sort of came and said, hey, he'd actually, when I originally launched this, it was a, an open source GitHub repository. And he jumped in and started to do some work actually on, on like users and events and stuff. So he'd seen the code base before. And he sort of said he was keen to try out the new partner API. Yeah, and said, hey, if you want to help out on partner metrics, then please do. That would be great. So he did all the work around like the GraphQL and extracting the payout data from Shopify and getting it into the database and sort of calculating the same way that we do with the CSV data. And then I sort of jumped in and just helped with the stuff that was more around like the UI of the app that was already there and how we could sort of schedule the updates and things like that. So he did like the hard work and then I came in and did the work around the parts that I'd already built for the app earlier and, and then gave it a new coat of paint sort of matches the new Shopify styling and stuff as well. But I think, yeah, it turned out really cool. Yeah, it's exciting. I think that just having a metrics dashboard is one thing we really miss out on with Shopify. Like I look at Stripe and things like that. So nice. So I think this is a really good step in that direction, just having that daily dashboard you can log in and get a good view of how things are going. Yeah, exactly. And I think I'll log in more when I don't have to first export the CSV file, then sort of wait for that email to turn up and then load it in. And finally, I can look at the numbers, right? I'd be able to just sort of log in quickly, take a quick look and, and see if some change I made sense or whatever. We still did, obviously, an API. And if somebody comes with a lot of historical data, we still force new users to upload a CSV file for the initial import because it's just so much faster. We can read 10,000 rows a second sort of thing of a CSV file, whereas we can request uh, 100 payouts, uh, like rows, every three seconds. By the time we've processed it and requested the next 100, it's about three seconds or something. So it's just like orders of magnitude faster if we do it via CSV. So we'll keep that for the historical stuff, but then it's just so cool to see how well the partner API fits in to keep it updated. So once you've got it in there, then it just keeps it updated once a day sort of thing. It's quite cool. That's exciting. Yeah, I used it before, but like you said, I didn't log in enough, upload the CSV and all that. So this is really exciting. This way to use it going forward. Yeah, definitely. And you can export different CSV files from the Shopify dashboard. So I think that also catches some people like, ah, oh, it's not working. And you find out that it was the wrong file that they exported or whatever. So I think this will sort of cut down on all that frustration for people and they'll get more value from it. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it was nice with a win after last week. So I took a day out of the calendar this week just to sit down and sort of finish it all and get it ready. It was nice to just do something different. It's good to talk about something here other than us, us complaining for a half hour after our shitty weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but as long as it doesn't become a habit for us, right? Then I think it's fine. Right, right. <laughs> no, there's usually quite a bit more good than bad. Definitely. And again, like the whole light point in the whole time is that my new project has sort of been continuing to evolve as I'm fighting this fire sort of thing. The app kit and my new app is starting to take shape. And now it's kind of fun because now we're getting into actually building parts of the app. One of the things I've always made a mistake in my older apps is translations has become hard to implement after the fact because the app was built supporting one language and adding things in like, well, how then do I translate this? 
because the app was built in a certain way to begin with, it's become a lot harder to try and think, how am I going to support this? So now we're sort of thinking, well, how do we do this correctly from the start? So translations are built in from the beginning. It's nice to sort of have time and the space to not just look at how can I get this into an existing project, but like when you have a greenfield, all the wonderful things that you can think about upfront instead of making it harder for yourself later. Yeah, that's one thing I've actually thought a lot about too, just working on Translate CI is like, how do you retrofit an app that wasn't really designed initially to handle more than one language? And I haven't come up with a very good solution for that. I think it's difficult. And I think, yeah, it's always going to involve going in and going through your view files or whatever and just updating them. So yeah, just starting from the beginning is, is so much nicer. Yeah, exactly. And then also because it's a lot of my apps are user-generated content, right? So like in an email design, the title, the introduction text, all that is chosen by the customer. So then, And because the sections in the email dynamic as well, so not one email is built the same way. You can drag sections around, move their position. You can add an extra section. You can remove a section that's usually there. So going through that and extracting the information needed just to build what needs to be translated has always been baffling to me. I haven't come up with something that I feel safe to do, at least. Yeah, I get it. Translations are tough, as I've learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My translation app is on the graveyard now, so I think you're a brave man getting into uh, translations. <laughs> it's so close, too. Like, I haven't been able to work on it the last couple of weeks at all. I've been so busy with other stuff, but I'm ready. I want to get this out. Actually, thanks to this podcast, I've gotten a couple of people volunteering to be beta users, which is amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'd really like to deliver them something as quickly as possible. Yeah, definitely. But I think, like with everything, all good things take time. Are they using Laravel as well? Is that why they make good beta testers for you? Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, they all are. So they should be sort of prime candidates for the MVP version of this. Oh, that's nice. What kind of tech stack are you usually you know, for Rails, there's certain tools and libraries and stuff that we use. Do you think there's anything specific to yours that's interesting? Or I know you talked about like the Shopify package that made life so much easier for you. Is there other stuff that you think is good for Laravel building apps there specifically? There's one particular company called Spady out of Belgium that like if you're a Laravel user, like, I mean, these guys are amazing. Anything, they've got like a billion open source packages that they've created. They sort of do a model where they put out a lot of free open source stuff and just link like their couple of paid things with it. I feel like anything you want to do, they've probably got a package that you can use or at least look at and sort of figure out how they're doing it and incorporating it into your own app. I mean, it's really amazing. I think it's spady.be is their website and it's just, it's awesome. In fact, I just bought a tool of theirs this week, actually. They just released called Ray, which is amazing. So. I've never been really good at using debuggers and things with my code. I think they're difficult to set up. I kind of get limited use out of them. And so I tend to use the die dump type of debugging. And they actually built this tool called Ray that sort of enhances that die dump debugging by, you can put a function called just Ray whatever, and it just outputs into this little desktop GUI program, whatever you're trying to output. And you can even do things like you can output your models, you can color code things to filter messages. It's sort of built for Laravel specifically to just like get all this debug information through these simple calls in your app. It's great. Yeah, I love it when you find little tools like that that just make everything easier. For sure, yeah. It was like 20 bucks or something like that and it's become like, I don't think I could function without it already after a week or two. Oh, wow. 
<laughs> I think some things can just slow you down, right? Like if you try and do too much tooling, but then you got to find the toolkit that works best for you. But it's so nice when you actually do find something that you just think, hey, this fits so well into how I think or how I like to work. Yeah, there's really only two tools like that I use. Ray, the new one, and then there's one called Tinkerwell, which is awesome if you're a Laravel developer. This basically lets you interact with your code through the command line. But it's got really nice output and just a lot of tools around it that make it really easy to use. Basically, like as I'm building something or like I'm doing something complicated, I can kind of spike it out in this program and it's interacting with my code base as I'm writing it and just running it every time I add a new line or whatever. And so I can kind of build it up interactively and then move it into the actual code base. It's really nice. Yeah, that's a nice way because that's one of the things that's hard sometimes, right? Is getting a project to a point where you can test out this one thing that you're interested in, right? I was doing something similar with uh, JavaScript just yesterday. There's a package for Rails. I guess it works outside of Rails as well, but it was built by, like when you name this uh, Spady.be company, Basecamp in the Rails world is like them. They're always releasing something new and the guy that created Rails works there and so forth. And they're always spitting out cool things. But they had a package called Stimulus, which is a, a really nice little mini, I hate to call it framework, but it's like a tool set to build interactive or like to help you create modular JavaScript tools for your app. So say you have a slideshow, you could use this to control the slideshow and automatically sort of registers when one of these comes onto the page and hooks itself up. But they've just released a new version actually, where they're also trying to get away from like all this bundling of JavaScript. Like you have all these build tools and, and everything else. And I was playing around with that yesterday to see if we could use ESM, which is like this JavaScript modules where it imports itself. I'm going to butcher the explanation of how it works. But instead of having to actually compile or bundle or build the JavaScript at the end, you basically just ship it and it loads the scripts as it needs it in the page. So if you don't use it, it doesn't load it. It's quite smart anyway. It's quite in its infancy. But I wanted to test out this idea getting back to my point. <laughs> it took like an hour just to get to a point with a project where I could actually test this out and I had something to test out. And it was like a, quite a simple thing, but just the amount of upfront work that you have to put in to be able to test out a quick idea. It can be a hindrance sometimes to tinkering. So I think Tinkerwell sounds like something I want as well. <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Like again, that's part of my daily workflow already after having it for a few months. Yeah, how oh, nice. But yeah, I'm not sure if we have too much more to talk about. I feel kind of worn out after last week. It's been positive this week. So going from a bad week to a really positive week where I feel like I've got a lot done. But I don't think I have too much more to say. Oh yeah, one thing. Shopify are holding the Shopify Commerce Awards again now. And that was pretty cool to win back in the day, just from opening doors and meeting people and so forth. But I think they've just put out an article as well where they've interviewed the previous winners. <laughs> oh, nice. Are you in that? Yeah. And it was like, am I going to be in it? Obviously, if we just had an incident on the app and the feature that, that the article was about and stuff. But yeah, I think they've just put it out. I haven't read it yet. I think it should be good. But my point is that it was definitely worth applying for and a worthwhile thing to do. Nice. Yeah, I'm bad at that stuff. Like I see that come through every year and skim it and then don't actually remember to do anything with it. Maybe this will be my year. Yeah, do it. You don't always have to start a whole new idea, I don't think. Or maybe that's part of the rules. But uh, Or a new app. I think you can base a feature on that sort of thing. But it's always interesting because they pick out sort of different categories where they think there's opportunities and also stuff that they're sort of interested in seeing more of. So it's usually in, in a space where 
they may not be as much competition as as more mature spaces. Well, maybe a good try for superhero then. Yeah, we'll have to cover superhero again next week. I'd like to catch up on how that's going. Oh. Yeah, no news this week. I haven't had a chance to work on it. So, ah, fair enough. All right, I'll um I'll let you go. It was great chatting again, uh, Jack, and let's talk next week. All right, see ya. All right, see ya.